For composer and pianist Roger Davidson, music and spirituality go hand in hand. On Universal Sacred Music, Davidson emphasizes this inexplicable connection between music and the unconditional love of God for us all. How is music and spirituality combined? Is it in the words? The chords of a song? How are human beings connected by music? Davidson elaborates for us. Spirituality is a key element of my musical purpose indeed. In fact, it's the whole point of all music that I write that has a spiritual intention. And even songs that are not intended deliberately to be sacred music often carry a spiritual element and carry an intention to connect with the divine because when we're connecting with nature or each other, to me that's another form of connecting with the divine as we are all interconnected through God. Throughout his career, Davidson has expressed his commitment to creating music that emphasizes unity shared by all faiths and religions, an experience every person can share and connect that goes beyond tradition. Davidson explains to us the universal values that every human being experiences together. In the 1980s, I came up with the term universal sacred music, because the only sacred music I have ever written is not limited to one faith tradition, but taking the best of those liturgical texts that I find in existence and writing new ones or discovering new ones that express the universal spiritual values that we all share, not the dogma of particular faiths, and moving on even further into a interspiritual experience of going beyond interfaith, beyond expressing appreciation or tolerance for each other's religions, each other's faith, into practicing the unity that we all share in one communion with the divine, one experience of universal reverence that carries way beyond particular traditions. To Davidson, music has the ability to connect all types of people of all types of faith. With universal sacred music, he emphasizes to us the power music has to overcome religious differences and how his music goes beyond. Music is not only a world without boundaries, it is a thread that connects the souls of all human beings. And this is true even if somebody from Malaysia, for example, is listening to a Christian choral piece written by a German composer from a country that he has no relationship with. But that music could carry through the power of the Spirit to that person from Malaysia, even if his faith is not the same, because the overarching power of the music overcomes that gap of religious difference. On his latest release, Davidson collaborated with critically acclaimed choral conductor Harold Rosenbaum and his choir, the New York Virtuoso Singers, to bring his music to life. As Davidson tells us, Rosenbaum and his chorus proved to be a competent and empathetic interpreter of his music. My experience with Harold is he makes everything look so easy. He's very good at planning how much time he needs to rehearse things, very quick reader, and he gets marvelous sound out of the choir and the great spirit and is empathetic to the music that he conducts such that it's easy for the composer to work with him and really get to how the music is supposed to sound. So Harold did a beautiful job with this album and many other projects. Davidson has recorded over 20 albums in a wide range of styles, from jazz to tango to klezmer to symphonic. Now, Davidson explores a very unique instrumentation, blending and juxtaposing the 16-voice choir with one or two wind instruments to guide the movements. He tells us why he chose these instruments and the effect he wanted them to have. Several years ago, I 
came up with the idea of writing choral music with one wind instrument as a separate voice, but blended with the choir. It's not really a soloist. The role of the winds in this are an equal part to the choir. Sometimes they blend with the choir, sometimes they play separately and differently. But the idea was, because first of all, I haven't heard any choral pieces at that time, especially in the 80s and 90s, when I wrote these pieces that do that, that use a single wind instrument and choir, and I love the effect and the sound. Davidson is not only a humanitarian, but an interfaith minister as well. His creation of the Society for Universal Sacred Music has served as representation of his lifelong commitment to celebrate unity and unconditional love of God. Davidson gives us his point of view on God and how God unites every person, whether they know it or not. God exists within all of us. I believe our eternal spirits contain a spark of God. And that's why we have eternal spirits. That's why we have consciousness. That's why when we are born into a lifetime on Earth, we have the consciousness to learn. And I believe that Earth is a school. We are meant to be here to learn about life, atone for transgressions, and contribute as much as we can to teach, to learn, to experience, and evolve, to grow, and to have a body on Earth helps us do that. Then we rest and come back again, depending on what we have built up during the last lifetime. In 1982, Davidson wrote Unispace, the world's first major choral work about the spiritual and scientific aspects of living and working in space. Inspired by a United Nations International Conference on the Peaceful Uses of Outer Space, Davidson tells us what sparked his idea. Unispace was the name of the United Nations' first international conference on the peaceful uses of outer space. It took place in 1982 in Vienna, Austria, and I had the privilege of being there with my father, who invited me because he was involved in large engineering projects at the time, including space exploration. So I was standing in the middle of the courtyard of the Marienplatz in, in Vienna, chatting with one of NASA's chief scientists, who later became a friend. And he said, Roger, you're a composer. I wish a composer would write something serious and profound about what we scientists are doing in space. Can you do that? And I thought about it for about 10 seconds and said, yes, I will, Jerry. As soon as I get home, that's the first thing I'm going to do. And I got home someday in August of that summer, and I started writing Unispace, which is a large work for chorus, percussion, piano, and organ. Soundbrush Record Company has an interesting story. It was initially started to encourage a relationship between music and visual artists. In the last 13 years, it has worked with various genres of music, including world, jazz, and beyond. Davidson elaborated to us about Soundbrush Records' history, philosophy, and the meaning behind the name. Soundbrush Records was a company that was originally formed in 1998 for the purpose of combining visual arts and music. In other words, music inspired by the visual arts. So from the beginning, my philosophy was the covers had to be really great and often reflect actual art. What actually happened is that I didn't end up working with painters and sculptors the way I'd intended, but a few years later, and the soundbrush stayed dormant for about two or three years until 2002 when it got revived as a full-fledged recording company for the purpose of recording world music, jazz, music from South America, and uh, an increasingly wide range of music of high quality. We developed in Soundbrush a uh, wonderful community of musicians, which is still growing, and we all love to work together in various combinations. Soundbrush kept the name because 
there is an element of brushstrokes in music. From an early age, Davidson was exposed to music thanks to his parents' record player and most notably, their piano. Davidson had a unique musical upbringing as he was primarily self-taught, his natural instinct for the instrument allowing him to experiment and improvise from a young age. Davidson reflects on these childhood memories for us. I remember our piano in my parents' apartment in New York City, and it was an old, beat-up upright, which I thought sounded pretty good. They kept it tuned for me, and my parents played a little. They weren't musicians, but they played the piano a little bit. They'd learned a few pieces over the years. But I was constantly playing. That's all I did. Every chance I could get, I climbed up on the piano stool. We didn't have a TV, and I didn't have a radio either at the time, but we had a record player, so I listened to tons of music. I'm sure I did then. I don't remember what the record player was like. I think they played 78s, but I was constantly playing the piano. I discovered that I could already play, and I kept on going, and I kept improvising. So I basically taught myself the piano through improvising and later taught myself to read music and it went on from there. Davidson's exposure to jazz musicians at the Stanford Jazz Workshop in the 1980s proved to be a fundamental influence on Davidson as a musician. He reminisces to us about the two valuable summers where he learned from Stan Getz, Dizzy Gillespie, and more. There were two summers when I went to Stanford University Jazz Workshop. The first one was 83 with Stan Getz, the second summer of Dizzy Gillespie, and also James Moody, too. First of all, Stan Getz was, of course, he's an incredible musician, but he gave a lecture to all of us that I never forgot. There were a bunch of young sax players showing off their stuff on stage, and then uh, he stepped up to the microphone and said, you know, you're all fine musicians, but you have to remember, I know you can all play notes, but what's much more important, he said, is the notes you leave out. Don't forget the melody. The melody is king. The melody is all important. Always play around the melody. And remember, you can always leave notes out. It's much more powerful that way. That's basically his message. And then from Dizzy Gillespie, he taught us a lot about rhythm and the subtleties of rhythm, the slow rhythms, the medium rhythms, and the fast rhythms, which all happen at the same time. That was a workshop I took with him. So I learned to listen to different levels of rhythm from that class as well. Helen Keane is a notable name in jazz, as she was the jazz producer and longtime manager of pianist Bill Evans. Davidson caught the ear of this legendary producer, and their friendship led to an eye-opening realization for his love of jazz. As Davidson tells us, their collaboration then led to his 1991 recording of 10 to 12, produced by Helen Keane herself. I knew her son in elementary school, which is how I met her originally. So when I was about 10 or 11, she used to take me around to recording sessions she was producing. And there were quite a variety of them, too. She produced folk musicians as well as jazz. But much later, in the late 80s, in 1987, she came to one of my concerts of Unispace. I was playing the piano. And after she said, great piano playing, let's have lunch and talk about jazz. And so uh, eventually, a few years later, she was producing my first jazz album, which is called 10 to 12, because it's the name of one of my tunes on it. It was intended originally as a demo, and she was going to do another one down the road, and then unfortunately she got sick and passed away shortly after. But the story was great because in the process of learning to play jazz, I mean, I fooled around with jazz before, but I hadn't really played jazz, you know, and gotten into the heart of it until then. 
And it was almost like being turned inside out. It was finding things that were in me I didn't know about. And it was expanding my vocabulary, my musical vocabulary, rhythmic vocabulary, a mile a minute. And then it all clicked. And then I knew that I wanted to be a jazz player more than what one calls a classical player as a pianist. Today, Roger Davidson continues to be a diverse force in the world of music, pushing the boundaries of his compositions, whether it's a choral work or a jazz tune. Davidson's desire to create a united musical world without boundaries is further emphasized on his latest release, Universal Sacred Music, where he takes us on his journey of spiritual enlightenment through music. For Crossover Media, this is Amanda Bloom.